First Timothy chapter three this morning, and uh, we're preaching through the book. I love to preach through books in the Bible, love to preach on people in the Bible, but particularly preaching through books. It kind of helps you make sure you don't skip something or whatever. Makes you hit things and preach on things that you might not otherwise do. And the Bible talks about preaching the whole counsel of God. And I don't know how in the world a person do that if they didn't just go through books. But anyway, this morning, now it's going to be a little different service, a little different type of message. I want to preach a message today on the call to preach and on pastoring the flock of God. The call to preach and pastoring the flock of God. Now, one of the worst things there is in the world is a preacher that's been preaching 40 years and thinks he knows it all. He don't know nothing. And most of the time, we're so worried about some young preacher having fire that we used to have, <laughs> making us look bad. But I do think sometimes God uh, makes up for youthful zeal with maybe some aged experience. I don't know. But anyway, I want to preach on this subject. Now, without mentioning any names, uh, the other night, uh, Wednesday night here at church, a young man came to me and said that he possibly feels the call of God upon his life to preach. Boy, I was glad to hear that. And I told him to make his calling and election sure and to be praying about that and make it sure. But uh, we're seeing, you know, many young people or many people, uh, the Lord dealing with them. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible said that this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop must then be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre. You can put this up on the board, guys, if you wouldn't care. I'd appreciate it very much. Uh, not guilty of uh, uh, filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into the reproach, into reproach and the snare of the devil. I'd have you to know that twice in that passage of scripture, the devil is mentioned. When God mentions the devil in the Bible, he's going to perk up the ears. He's going to try to tell you something. Um, like I said, this will be a little different. I'm not sure how it's going to go, but we're going to go verse by verse and line by line, precept by precept on this. Um, it says there, number one, we don't talk about being the pastor of a church or being the call to preach. Now, I'm going to tell you something right now. Uh, America's not going to be saved by the Republican Party. I'm a Republican. I ain't ashamed of it. And I'm particularly glad I'm not a Democrat. I know some of you won't be back. That's all right. There's a lot of folks that, you know, I'm not here to please you anyway. Amen. But I'm going to tell you something right now. It's a shame that a party in this country is promoting sodomy and abortion and every nasty, filthy, unbiblical, ungodly thing they can possibly seem like do. It's pitiful. And, uh, but uh, I'm going to tell you how America, if it is saved, it'll be because men surrendered to the will and the work of God in their life. And this country was filled with public. Uh, de Tocqueville said this. He was from France. He came over to America. See what he said. I want to know what the genius of America is. And he said, I went to their factories and I saw their fields and I saw their farms. 
He said, I saw their great cities. He said, I saw all the wonders of their, uh, at that time, industrial revolution and so forth. But he said, it wasn't until I went to the churches of America that I found the secret to America. He said this, the pulpits of America were aflame with the fire of righteousness. And he said, that is the secret to America. And it's still the secret. Whether you, I understand it or not, God ordained the church and he ordained the church structure and he ordained the church to be salt light to its culture and to its nation. And, uh, and the answer that we need in this country is 10,000 preachers called who will sell out to God, committed to God, unafraid and, unaf- and, and unbashfully proclaiming the word of God and the righteousness of God, preaching on sin and then following that up by preaching on a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's going to save this country. Not a bunch of wimpy boys who are just trying to people please everybody all the time and, and, and conform to the culture. That, that's not going to save this country. We need some men. I'm talking about men. With, with like the old boy said, the backbone of a saw log and the height of a rhinoceros and the heart of a dove. That's what you got to have to preach. But anyway, it takes off here. So get, get ready to be offended. All right. Unless, uh, you know, if you're not right, God, this is the truth saying, if a man, did you see that? If a man, now I'm going to tell you a little something today. We're all, everybody's all oh, these transgenders, they transgenders, ain't that a sickening mess? Yeah, it's a sickening mess, but we've been transgendering in our pulpits for generations in this country by letting women preachers, there ain't no such thing as a woman preacher. Now, I don't care how sincere she is. She's sincerely wrong. And you ladies and you girls, God ain't never going to call you to preach a pulpit pastor church. He may call you to serve him, win people to Christ, serve him in many, many ways. But he's not going to call you to pastor church. So you can just go, whoa, glory to God. Amen. All right. But here's what bothers me. We're all bent out of shape about the transgender and we're putting women in, in these denominations to get up and preach, maybe say something against it. And they got women in their pulpits. They've already transgendered. And they're wondering why the country is full of transgender. It's already started in our pulpits. If any man desire the office of a bishop. Now I want you keen on this word desire. God's grace gives people. When you, if you're saved here today, you know what? Something I know happened to you. The Holy Ghost of God visited you and gave you the desire to repent and the desire to believe on Jesus Christ. It just didn't come, it didn't come out of the goodness of your heart to repent of sin and believe on Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost of God visited you and he gave you a desire to repent of your sin, to turn from your sin and to receive and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. God gave you that desire. Okay, now God gives people a desire to serve him. And I'm going to tell you something. It's a blessing if God gives you a desire. That's his grace. Watch this. That desire is because of the grace of God that is working in you. Paul said, I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. And the desire here that he's talking about, he said, if any man desire, that's not just a guy waking up some morning saying, I think I'll be a preacher. That sounds like fun. I'll just preach on Sunday morning, get my check, go to house. Now, if that's your idea of preaching, you're crazy. Yeah, yeah. 
But it's not, we're not talking about a humanistic get up. I'm going to do this deal. I think I'd like to do that. We're talking about God putting a desire in your heart to preach his word, to win others to Christ, to serve people, to minister to people, to be a blessing to people and to honor Jesus Christ with your life as opposed to maybe going and doing what you wanted to do in life. He said, if any man desire the office of a bishop. Now, let me also say about this here before we move forward. When the grace of God is working in the heart, it also will work a fear and trembling. Now, I want to tell you something right now. Yeah, I've been doing this 40 years and yeah, I'm, I'm fairly comfortable in the pulpit, but I've never gotten over the fact that I'm going to give an account for every single word I've ever said behind this pulpit, much less everything else I've said. It is a fearful thing to serve God. It is a fearful thing to influence people in any kind of a wrong direction or any kind of a wrong way. It's a fearful thing to preach false doctrine. It's a fearful thing to create a situation in the church that gives license to sin. It's a fearful thing to take the call to preach. I don't know of anything else. I mean, it got, it's more, has more responsibility than being the president of the United States. You can believe that or not. But it is a fearful trembling of the knowledge of the calling when God gives that desire. Now, it, to preach that word, as I said, to serve the Lord, to serve others, and to care about souls and lives and God's glory. Now, the call, this desire, is not a desire for self-glory, self-promotion, self-position, or self-exaltation, or self-power. And I'm telling you right now, that's, I mean, that's what I'm telling you right now. The call to preach, to me be behind this pulpit doesn't make me one bit better than anybody sitting in this church house. Amen. Amen. How many of you think that, that Joe Biden's better than you are, or Donald Trump's better than you are, just because they've been president? They're not of worth more value than you are. And a preacher is not a more important person. Now, he has more responsibility, maybe, in certain realms, but he's not a better person. He's not a superior person to you. Amen. Let's just get that down. No, no, so we look at this office. Now, in the New Testament, the Bible gives two offices in the church, bishop and uh, the pa- pastor or bishop, whichever one you call it there. And the deacon, and I'll be talking about deacons here maybe in the next week or so as we move on down through this passage of scripture. But when it says office, that means official. Now, official, again, doesn't mean somebody, if I go up the road and there's a highway patrolman, he has an office. He's an official. He's or somebody in the government or whoever it may be. They're an official. It doesn't mean they're a better person than you are, that they're more important to God than you are. It just means that they have an office that they're fulfilling and a duty to discharge in that office. All right. Actually, it means that we're a servant. The biblical idea of, of uh, leadership in any realm is to be a servant. Let him that is chief among you be servant of all. Doesn't make them superior, doesn't make them more spiritual. It's just simply an office, but it is a holy office and it is an office with authority and it is an office with higher accountability of God in judgment. Then it says a bishop. If any man desire the office of a bishop. Now, I want you to take your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, and I want you to look at this. And again, we're looking at this bishop. Now, bishop, his primary definition is an overseer, one who has the oversight of a, a situation. It's connected real closely to a shepherd uh, with a flock. He's maybe given, uh, David was given charge of a flock when he was a young boy. He was to take care of his father's flock, okay? But in Hebrews chapter 13, and let's look at verse number 16. It says here, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they do what? Everybody. They watch for your souls. That is part of, and I'll get into this a little bit later about this thing of watching for your souls. I'm going to be honest with you. One of the toughest things for me is this. 
You know, I'm here in church, I'm the pastor, and I see somebody who's heading the wrong way. Just either by attitude, appearance, and you know, and you want to reach out and say, hey, you're headed the wrong way. And, uh, you know, it grieves you. And, and, and here's another thing, you've, you've preached, and you know they've heard the preaching, but they've rejected it. And they just have a disobedient spirit, and they're just like telling you, you can, you can just cram it. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm, I'm going to tell you something right now. Just as much as I have, am going to give an account to God Almighty, and I'm going to tell you something. Just being flat out honest with you, I ain't looking forward to it. I've made a lot of mistakes. It's a fearful thing to stand before a holy, righteous God. But I am going to give an account for 40 years of preaching as of this point. But I want to say something, Dave, to one of you. You're going to give an account for what you've heard. You're going to give an account for saying, I'm not doing that. I don't care what he, what he preached. I'm not doing that. I don't care what the Bible says. Now, if I'm not preaching the Bible, don't throw it, throw it out. Throw it right straight in the trash can. But if I'm preaching the Bible, you're going, I'm going to tell you something. I want you to envision right now that you and you will stand before Almighty God. And he says, Reg preached this. On this such and such day, he preached out this text. And he explained that and he illustrated that. And he poured his heart out to you about why you need to obey this. And you just threw that, not in it. You thought you were throwing that in his face. You were throwing that in my face. You better wake up. It's appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. You are going to give an account to what the bishop or the pastor or the shepherd, the overseer is preaching, whether you like it or not. And I'm going to tell you something. One of the smartest things you'll ever do is learn to see past the preacher. See the authority behind the preacher. You know, I'm going to tell you something. The truth about it is when an officer comes out to arrest you, he is just he's been sent usually. By a higher authority, the judge has issued an arrest warrant. And you need to, you don't just say, to, this is where a lot of people are getting in trouble in America right now. They want to shoot the policeman. Yeah. 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 And I'm just going to tell you a little something. When you want to shoot the policeman, you want to shoot God. Because right. the powers that be are ordained of God. I'm very aware that every policeman didn't, didn't do everything right no more than every preacher does anything right. But he's still a minister of God. And God will hold him accountable for what he does wrong. But I want to emphasize to you here this morning that just as much as I will give account, and I will. This is not a joke. This is serious business. I'm I'm just, at the greatest, I'm just a few years away from this. At the most. At the most, I could be minutes away. I could be five hours away. I could be five days away. But I am going to stand before God and give an account for what I have preached and what I've done. And you're going to give an account what you've done with what you've heard from the word of God. And it's not going to be a light little thing. You say, well, disobedience isn't that important. Yeah, it is. Eve disobeyed and Adam disobeyed, sent the whole race into the fall and the curse. Samuel said to obey is better than sacrifice. I'm going to tell you a little something. God would rather you go home and do right today than come to church and go through your little deal. He would rather you obey him than sacrifice. Say, man, boy, we made church. Bless your heart. I'm glad you're here. But to be honest about it, if you're going to have a disobedient spirit to the word of God, God said, I'd rather you obey me than do things for me. And every parent in here is the same way. You say, Mom, Dad, I'm going to disobey you, but I'll do nice things for you. You say, uh-uh. Uh-uh. 
Anyway, it says, obey them and have the rule over and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls that they must get, as they that must give account. That they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable. I've experienced this, the grief that comes with it. I've been very blessed. I'm probably the most blessed pastor in the United States of America. And I'm just saying that. I, I, I'm not exaggerating. I've been blessed. I, let me tell you something. I get calls from preachers all the time. They're grieving. They're hurting. They're disappointed. They're sorrowful. Because, you know, just the rejection, the rebellion that's going on and all this junk. And, you know, just the total rejection of me and what they preach, you know, and I understand that. But God says that they may do it with joy and not with grief. For that's what? Everybody look at that. It's unprofitable for you to have a rebellious spirit against the word of God. If God says that, that entails a lot. I won't go into that. Now, let's go back over. I want you to go now to Acts chapter 20. Now, as I said, a, a bishop is kind of an overseer. Uh, there's a lot of ways you can maybe describe that shepherd, whatever like that. And Paul, Paul had what he called the care of all the churches. And, that, and, and I'm not, I don't want to get into church structure and denominational structure and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't have that all figured out in my own mind. Don't think anybody I've ever met does either. I just, I believe in a local autonomy church, just like the churches in the New Testament and so forth. And I don't think you need to be run by a bunch of people at some headquarters that hadn't won a soul to Jesus in 50 years and hadn't preached a Bible message in 25 years. I don't think they got anybody to business telling local preachers what to do. Amen. They haven't been to the hospital to see the sick in six years. They haven't preached a funeral and they, you know, they're telling all their preachers what to do. Makes me sick. But anyway, uh, Paul gets into Acts chapter 20. You're going to come down to about uh, verse 24 and you're going to see the heart of a shepherd here. You're going to see the heart of the man who cares about the church, uh, the people within that church. Verse 24, he says this. Uh, let's go back to chapter, verse number 17. Pick it up just to get a sense and context. And from Miletus, he sent, us, he, sent, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. And boy, he, if you go to the passage of Scripture, he talks about how I worked with my own hands so they wouldn't be chargeable to people that I was ministering to. And, and, I, I, and you know, it just gets into a lot of things. Verse number 19, serving the Lord. Now watch this. And I'm talking about if you want to be a preacher, God's given you a desire to be a preacher. You think God may be calling you to be a preacher. You better perk up your ears right here. He says, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. One of the greatest things I fight personally is pride. That's just the honest truth. I pulled into my mother's driveway today with tears in my eyes because about three miles back up the road, God just, you know, I had a thought come through my mind and the Holy Spirit said, that's pride. And as I meditated upon that thought and so forth, I just, I said, God, when am I, you know, going to grow spiritually enough to not have that kind of an attitude or that kind of thought, you know, and, and, and I just, and now immediately I thought about, a brother Sheffy in the movie, Brother Sheffy, sitting by, standing beside his wife's tombstone, Lord, have I been prideful? Wondering, you know, Lord, was I, was I proud of what you used me and how you used me and the blessings that you blessed me with? All of a sudden, what you gave me was totally by your grace and now I'm proud of it. He says, I serve the Lord with all humility of mind. That's one of the ways that we need to serve God. And with many tears, I'm going to tell you something. You ain't got no business ministering to people if you don't have some tears. Amen. If you can't weep with those that are weeping, you've got no business in the ministry. 
If you're just going to sit there and listen to them with a stone face and a cold heart, and you don't know how to put your arm around some broken soul and hurt with them and weep with them, I don't think you've got any business being in the ministry. I'm not saying you've got to go around crying all the time, and I'm not into that. Don't, I don't think you should use tears as a leverage and all that kind of junk and pump tears out to get your way with your dad. And some of you girls know how to cry when you, for your daddy to get you to do things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having a heart that weeps with those that weep, a heart that hurts with those that are hurting, a heart that cares about people that's going to die and go to hell. If that don't do something, if, if people die and going to hell doesn't put a tear in your eye, you, you probably have no business being in the ministry. Now, he said many tears and temptations. Now, just because you're going to be a preacher don't mean you ain't going to be tempted. That's right. Temptations, which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews. Now, watch verse number 20. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. He didn't dodge things and stay away from subjects and stay away from issues that he knew would be profitable for them to hear and to be preached. He said, I kept back nothing that was profitable to you, but have showed you and have taught you. Oh boy. He didn't just teach. He showed. He lived publicly and from house to house. The night I, I told this young man the other night, the night I surrendered to preach, I was kneeling at an altar and it's just like the Holy Spirit whispered to me, I am not just calling you to get behind a pulpit. I am calling you to win people to Christ, to influence wherever you may be in your life whether that's in the hayfield, milk barn, at a sale, whatever it may be. The whole world is your mission field. And that's what needs to happen. Verse number 21, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks. That, that, that term in the Bible includes everybody. If you weren't a Jew in the Bible, you were Greek, that, you were Greek, you were Jew. That, that pulled everybody in. And here's what he testified to them. Now get this. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the greatest verses you'll ever read in your life. Paul preached repentance. Paul preached repentance. And I want to tell you right now, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And when that breeze in the mulberry trees, when the wind of the Holy Spirit's moving through your soul, and he wants to lead you to repentance, you bestir yourself. You move. Because I'll tell you something, it's a precious thing for the Spirit of God to move in your heart. And I'm going to tell you to hear that, that fluttering going on and God said, I'm dealing with you. You bestir yourself. There's a time to move when the Holy Spirit's doing. And I would say to you here today, I'm not up here playing games with your soul. I'm not, we're not, this isn't some club. I'm not up here playing psychological games with you. If you're not saved, you need to be saved. You're going to bust hell wide open and and it's a no return trip. You need to repent of your sin and you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. That's what a preacher, a pastor is called to do. And if he gets off on side issues without that, he's lost his calling. Now, I'm not going to come in here every Sunday morning and preach a salvation message. I'm going to feed the flock the word of God, the whole counsel of God. But I'm always going to back up and try to remind there may be people that's going to be listening to me or are listening to me that are not saved who need to understand salvation. Now he said there in verse 22, and now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem and not, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Say that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and affliction abide me. He just knew some rough times was coming. All right. Now, verse 24. Watch this, everybody. 
By the way, I'm going to tell you, Danny's not here this morning. He's preaching out here north of town. He'll be preaching tonight. But this is one of Danny's favorite verses. I know Danny well enough. I've been around him a long, long time. Now, I can tell you, knowing him personally, I know for a fact, if you was asking him, Danny, what about Acts 20, 24? He'll tell you this is one of his favorite verses. He understands this as part of the call to preach. But none of these things move me. What things? The afflictions, the problems, the trials, the temptations, all, all that. None of these things move me. You ought to underline that in your Bible. I'm not going to be shaken I'm not going to be moved by trials, tribulations, problems that hit me and not shaking me out. Neither, watch this next state, neither count I my life dear unto myself, hmm, so that I may finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. This was his whole deal. Now, I'm not, I haven't done very good at this, by God's grace, I'm still here. There have been a lot of things hit me, but God's just held me. I'm not stronger than you are. I don't have more willpower than you are. I'm not more stubborn than you are. <laughs> you may think I am. <laughs> but God has kept me. And every time some big, big hoodoo storm comes through my life or the church's life, and I start looking west, thinking about a little cabin up in Montana somewhere. It's just like God just says, hey, 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 none of these things to move you. But now the one I have a hard time is with, neither can I my life dear to myself. I think quite a bit of Reggie. <laughs> I think Reggie needs to be fed, clothed, felt sorry for, encouraged, liked. <laughs> He's talking here about the big picture. And I will be honest, in a certain sense, I had to do this. The life that I had before when I was 28, I had to say, you know what? That's not dear to me now. And by the way, that'll happen to you in your Christian experience. So that I might finish my course with joy. And a lot of times I have some preachers call me and they talk to me. And I say, well, listen, my, <laughs> my goal right now is to finish well. I don't want to get within five yards of the finish line and break down. I want to finish well. Okay, And he said, the, verse number 25, And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching and the kingdom of God shall see, at the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record. Now watch this, guys. Watch this, everybody. This is I'm, about, I'm about to call to preach. I am pure from the blood of all men. Whew. I can't say that. I've not witnessed every man every time the Holy Spirit told me to. I've not done everything, you know, but I tell you something, that's, a, that's some kind of statement that I'm pure from the blood of all men. Boy, I mean, I'll just be honest with you, I'm just under conviction right now. It's like, it's like something inside me says, what are you doing even preaching? You're such, you're so far short. Verse 27, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Wasn't just his favorite subjects. Wasn't just the things he liked or felt comfortable preaching or that he knew everybody would like to hear. But all the counsel of God. Genesis to Revelation. And I'll be honest with you. 
Boy, I, think, I was driving down the road this morning. I said, Lord, I just want to thank you for saving me. And I want to thank you for calling me to preach. It's been a journey. It's been a ride. But boy, what a blessing it's been to me. And one of my goals has been to this church that behind this pulpit, people could hear the whole counsel of God. Not just the part we want to hear, not just the part that, you know, fits everything. Now watch verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which, and here's this bishop thing, this overseeing thing, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Now I want to stop and just say something, just a second. You may be sitting here today and you say, I have no interest in this. I have no inkling that God has ever called me to preach or will call me to preach. I think I know what God wants me to do in life and I'm not interested. I hope you don't have that attitude because you may have a child that will someday. You may have a brother that will someday or a friend. And it wouldn't hurt you to know the heart of ministry. He said, uh, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock of which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God. And I'm going to be honest with you. That's my passion. I walk in here on Sunday morning. My passion is that you will not walk out of this church house without having been in this Bible. That's why, that's why in the morning we have Bible class. That's why we read the Bible together. Danny comes up and reads. And that's why I try my best to get you some Bible before you head back out to your car. God doesn't want you fed with the Sears and Roebuck catalog or Dr. Spot. He wants you fed with the Word of God. Now watch this. He said, he said you take heed to feed the, the, the flock of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now, I think that's serious. God says, I purchased those people with my own blood, Reggie. I put you overseer. You better feed them and take care of them. Now, you know good and well that if you had a flock of sheep, say out in Kansas somewhere, and you hired an old boy to take care and feed them, and you said, I'll be back in three months, and you go back out there, and there's half that flock laying dead, scattered across the field, and the rest of them are starved to death. They ain't been fed, and they're watered in the woods. They killed the other two-thirds of the other left. You're going to look at him and go, I want to tell you something right now. You need to find you another job. We're done. I don't know whether we're going to have time or not, but in the Old Testament, do you know what a lot of Israel's problem was, according to Jeremiah and Ezekiel? It was pastors that were not feeding the flock. That was their problem. I mean, we can say, well, Israel did this and Israel did that. But a lot of the problem was the pastors had conformed. It wasn't that they weren't still preaching. They weren't still like doing their official position. But they had caved into the pressures of it. And I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Verse number 29, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Get this down. You're going to go to church? Wolves are going to constantly try to come into church. And they will not spare the flock. They don't care who you are. They'll rip you up. Verse number 30. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. This, this, is, this is church life. Are you listening? Church life is not coming in here and it's just funny, funny, funny all the time. Everything great. I have a wonderful time. I'll tell you, I do. But there's also, you got to watch out for wolves. You got to watch out for stupidity going on. Yes. You got to be alert. All right. He said, drawing in verse 31, therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. There's that pastor's heart. 
And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Now watch verse 33. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. We're going to get into these things back over in chapter 3. Yea, yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. Paul said, I didn't just work with my hands of physical work to take care of my own needs. I helped those to work to help take care of those that were with me. Verse 35, I have showed you all things how that so laboring, you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than, it, than to receive. And I'm going to tell you about the ministry. It's just constantly giving yourselves, pouring yourselves out constantly. But if you don't get refilled, you'll get bad emptied. That's why I need church. That's why I need to hear the good singing. That's why I need to have that fellowship. I need to hear the preaching of the word of God and so forth. Verse 36. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And he concluded there. And of course, 37 talks. They all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words he spake that they should see his face no more. I want to remind everybody in here. There'll be a day on this side of eternity when you will see the faces of people you love no more. We don't have time for junk. I, I, it just blows me away how people can get all bent out of shape over issues. You know what? I, 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 I want you, I'm, I'm just taking my time here. I, this, this is probably sorry preaching, but it, this week, the Lord dealt with me about something. He said, how do you deal with it? Well, it's just kind of a still small. I'm reading the Bible and see like God's. Just start speaking tomorrow. And man, I'll tell you what, I want you to get this. I'm going to kind of divert you a little bit. It's like Lord said, Reggie, I want one rule at that church and one rule only. I want one rule in that church and one rule only. Anybody know what it is? Love one another. Love. Love. There is in this church one rule. And if we will abide by that one rule, Everything else will be taken care of itself. If we will love God supremely, love each other, and love the lost, the rule of love will take care of all the other junk. You'll never need me to preach on modesty. Because if you love God, you'll dress modestly. Amen. You'll never need me to preach on honoring your father and your mother. Because if you love God, you'll want to honor your father and your mother. You, if, you, if, if, if we abide by the rule of love, you'll never, you'll never want to leave your wife or run off with somebody else. That's right. Take care of everything. How many like to go to church with just one rule? <laughs> and this is what gets my goat. Is that I've had people leave out of here and huff and puff and puff and talk about all the rules. That's just, just like, you never did get it, did you? You sat there for years and you never did get it. <laughs> anyway. Well, then let's go back to First Timothy, or First Timothy chapter 3. And he said that a bishop then... Uh, we're talking about an overseer there. Now, I'm going to give you these here. Uh, I want you guys to put up something for me. They're Jeremiah 3.15 and Jeremiah 2.8. All right. We're going to do this because I, I am going to pick up a little speed here. I know this ain't been good, some of you. If I sat now after, I'd be asleep and probably snoring by now. All right. Now, he said he desires a good work. It's a good work to serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, look at here. He said, I'll give you pastors according to my heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. 
And if you want to look up uh, verses, just look up the verses on pasture. It talks about the pastors, they wouldn't care for the sheep and they actually just fleece the sheep and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, wasn't, wouldn't visit the sheep and all that kind of stuff. Now, I'm going to tell you something that really gets my goat. You, you talk about, I guess I'm pitying myself. Can I have my pity party? Be all right. You want to join me? All right. But somebody get mad and leave church. Either call me up or just leave. And you try to, you know, talk to them or whatever, you know. And then go out and say, and he never even came to see me after I left. Yeah. Well, you sure made it feel like you didn't want to see me. Yeah. You made it sound like I'm the last person you ever want to see again. And now you're telling other people that I wouldn't come out to visit you. Can I tell you this? I'm pretty sorry. But I've done that. And some of the worst garbage I've ever heard go in my ears that you can't get out of your mind has been spewed at me at people's houses when I tried to go and see what their problem was. They didn't have the guts to stand up in church and say, Reggie, you're a sorry, low down, worthless preacher, and I ain't coming back no more. I'd just seen you do that. and uh, Not really, but anyway. (laughs) What I'm saying is, you know, people will twist the scriptures. It's unbelievable. It's crazy. Anyway. Now, I don't even want to preach this, but I got to. Verse number two. A bishop, go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 on Judeo. A bishop must then be blameless. Let's just go home. <laughs> blameless. Blameless doesn't mean sinless. That's right. That's right. But it does mean this, if they accuse you, it's not true. Yeah. But my problem is, I can't say that I'm blameless about everything. So I don't know whether I'm qualified to preach or not. Won't somebody say, amen, amen. It's tough stuff. You think I wanted to get up here this morning and preach this? Blameless. Because I've been to blame at times. Now, a lot of times I wouldn't. Been accused of stuff that wasn't, wasn't true. I've had people in this church come and say, Reggie, God told me this about you this week. And I said, where did he get that at? Then I've had people come and say, he told me this. And I said, yeah, and it was worse than he told you. <laughs> But he said blameless. Now, that, again, is not sinless, but it should be that if they accuse you, it's not true, okay? Then the next thing here, the husband of one wife. Husband of one wife. Uh, we'll get into an issue here just very briefly to say this. This is real important. This is real important. Why? Now, Danny uh, is not here this morning. Danny, Danny sees this verse. And Danny and I are good. He won't be offended what I say because he, he's got, a, Danny has a higher standard than I do on this verse. It blew me out. I'd never heard anybody say it before. He told me, he said, I will not be a pastor again because I've had one wife and she's deceased and I can't be, in my eyes, I can't be a pastor anymore. Now, I'd never looked at it that way. I always felt like that if your pastor had a wife and she died, he could be remarried. That's biblical. You can do that. And that he could pastor. Now, this throws another kink in the rope. If a man's not married, can he be a pastor? Because it says the husband and one wife. Why would God even think that? Let's say that it does mean that. Why would God say, I want a pastor to have a wife? And he even indicates children. Now, I realize there's different situations, but why? One of the reasons God does not want a pastor being divorced and remarried, pastor in the church, because he cannot with authority preach on that and stand on that issue if he's not. He just can't. And God knows that. That doesn't mean God doesn't forgive you. 
If, if Karen divorced, if, if I got served divorce papers this week by Karen, I can promise you I would cease being your pastor. I just would. That's me. All right. <laughs> There's a way out, Karen. <laughs> but I, uh, God ordained the home and the family. Churches are made of individuals and individuals become families and it's God's institution and he wants that maintained and he wants that strengthened. If I was divorced and remarried and you were having marital problems and you said you wanted to leave and marry another woman, how can I tell you not to do that? Because you'd say, well, Reggie, you did that. And I might say, well, my situation is different. No, I can't do that. And so here's the deal. God sets a high standard for pastoring the bishop as to be the husband of one wife. Not, not, <laughs> not one wife at a time, but one wife. Now, like you say, I'm just being honest because Danny said that to me and I'm going, whoa. Hmm. Because in my heart, I don't, if Karen were to be deceased and I was to remarry, I Man, I hope that never happens. I'm honest with you. I hope that never I mean, it took me 44 years to get her trained how to cook and sew and everything. <laughs> I just don't want to try to teach it how I want my eggs cooked. Amen. But anyway, get off the joking here. By the way, can I say to you that coming to church and your pastor ought to have a little joy about him. Little cheer about him. A spirit about him that helps you forget about the sorrows and the problems of life a little bit. And to let you know, hey, it's going to be all right. God's going to take us through. Let's be of good cheer. And uh, anyway, uh, if I had always thought, well, that wouldn't hinder me in pastoring. I don't figure I'm ever going to hit that road, so I'm not going to worry about it. But Danny, in his heart, he believes that, you know, that was it for him. Now, he can preach and go out and preach and help you, but he doesn't feel it. Now, here's another thing. Uh, On the issue of having a wife, it says the husband of one wife. Well, if I'm single and I'm not, somebody's going to hear this and somebody's going to say, I don't like that, blah, blah, blah. If I'm single, there's several things that can be a problem. One thing is it could be women problems constantly. Yes. Okay. That would be an extra battle that you'd be fighting all the time. Second thing is you probably have no clue what it's like to be married. (laughs) You don't have because you're not married. (laughs) And you don't know the struggles and the battles and so forth that are going on a lot. And you don't have any idea what that, what say, say, what's going on, Reggie? God is trying, God's setting it up so that the pastor is able to identify with and to help the people that are in the congregation and to uh, promote marriage and to promote the family and promote the biblical set of, of, uh, that God has for the home. So that's part of that. Now, the blameless, the husband, one wife, vigilant. That means getting that, I mean, you stay alert. Amen. You stay alert. You stay after it. Uh, vigilant. It means to be alert, to be watchful. Be on the ball, be on guard to danger and providing safety and security. It's this deal again of shepherding, uh, 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 watching about wood, being vigilant, sober. Uh, I'm just going to be, <laughs> excuse me, I'm be honest with you. I, I read these things. I've, I've almost dreaded preaching this because I'm like, Lord, I about decided I'm not qualified to preach. Has anybody got a, 
Thank you. I still got this stupid sinus stuff. and I'm going to try to hurry. I promise you. Thank you. But, but sober. Sober means that you've got command of your spirit. Drunk means that your, your inhibitions are down and stuff. Sober means you've got command of what's going on. Your spirit, you just don't. And I'll tell you where I fail in it is sometimes with temper or anger, I'm, I'm just quick, you know. And a man that's sober doesn't, he's not easily tricked. He's not easily triggered. He's not easily, you know, he's got command of his spirit. The Bible talks about not soon angry. Okay. A pastor needs to be sober. He doesn't, he has command of his emotions. All right. Then it says a good behavior. I don't know what that means. Go to the Greek. <laughs> you don't need Greek to figure that out. Do right. Amen. Amen. Behave right. By the way, First Timothy 3 is going to say the whole thing is written so you know how to behave yourself in the house of God. Yeah. Of good behavior. Given to hospitality. This is big. I, I, I'll tell you right now. The one thing I will say about where's sisters in at? Sister Zen, how many times have you had to cook dinner because Don invited somebody over? <laughs> Don is one of the most hospitable people I've ever known in my life. And Don, that's a super great quality. People don't visit each other much anymore, you know, and, and I hate to say this, I'm kind of, I hate to say this, the older I get, the more back in the whole lot I get on my farm and I stay back there. A the guy said this week, I ain't seen you in months, where you been? I said, I've been, I ain't telling you, but somewhere back here in the woods, amen. <laughs> But you know something we need, my wife, I want to say to my wife, how I thank her for having a hospitable spirit. Thousands of times, probably in 40 some years now, I've said, y'all want to come home, eat dinner with us? And they go, hey, Karen, that family's coming to eat. Oh, okay. And I'm going to say something to you. Not one time has she ever looked at me and said, what did you think about talking to me before you said that? She's never done that. Probably has. Boy, I'm telling you. Then it says apt to teach. Well, how are you going to teach if you don't know something? Pastors and teachers is a double calling in the book of Ephesians. And a pastor needs to be able to teach the Bible. And that's just the truth. Then it said, verse number three, not given to wine. That ought to be self-explanatory. Amen. I'm, I'm a teetotaler. Don't believe in none of it. I don't believe the wine Jesus, the water Jesus turned to wine was fermented at all. Because if he did, it violated his own word. And he ain't going to do that. I know that the only verse most of the world knows is Jesus turned water into wine. Bless God, I can drink it all. No, a a preacher ought not be given to wine. Next thing is no striker. I'll not be hitting anybody with his fist. You can kick him, but you don't hit him. Oh, listen, this is a tough one for me. I, and believe you me, I don't want to fight nobody. I'll just shoot you now. I don't want to fight you. <laughs> a lot less, lot less trouble, amen. But, but uh, I grew up, this honest truth, I grew up fighting. Had three older brothers. All we did was fight. And I'll just tell you something right now. Don't let your kids do that. Don't let your kids fight. Don't know. 
I'm just telling you, I don't think it's not right. Now, I, I realize we did our fighting when mom and dad wasn't around, okay? And you're going to do stuff when you're not there. But as best you can, teach your kids to be kind to each other, good to each other, and not to fight. And the preachers has no business hitting anybody. Not giving to filthy lucre. That means taking advantage of the ministry to, to get money. <clears throat> Let me give you an illustration of this. Uh, yeah, you're really nice to the widows, so the widow will give you money. Or, or you write your books and you do all your ministry to get people to send money. And you use them at Gehazi. Gehazi was Elijah, Elijah's servant. And Nahum offered Elijah all this money for his healing. And, it, you know, and if you go through the Bible, you'll find that Abraham told the king of Sodom, I won't even take the shoe uh, thread off your shoes. Don't try to buy me off. All the way through scripture, don't take money and use your ministry position to get money from people or to wiggle or twist or do something like it. Oh, listen, I could get on here. Some you folks listen online. We're about broke over here. And we've got a lot of bills to pay this coming month. And I know God has told some of you folks online to send us $100 a piece. I just know it. And some of you maybe even $500. do not that stuff make you sick? God ain't broke. Amen. And we don't ask for money here. And he provides everything in advance of what we need. And that's the honest truth. We tell him, we're going to tell him not you because you don't. <laughs> he may use you. I don't get me wrong. But anyway. Said, not a filthy lucre. But anyway, old Gehazi come back there, you know, and he stopped old Naaman and said, wait a minute, uh, Elijah's changed his mind. Uh, well, what's he want? Well, a few chains of clothing, a bunch of silver and gold, and the Bible struck him with leprosy. You don't use the ministry to build money out of people. I'm telling you that right now. You keep your hands off of it, amen. But patient. Let's go on to the next one. I don't like that one there. <laughs> Tribulation works with patience. Boy, I tell you, I never was a patient person. How many knows I'm not patient? We start church, let's go! I'll tell you one time I went to preach a revival meeting. Don't tell anybody this. I went to preach a revival meeting. I'm sitting here, you know, preaching. And I, I'd driven a long way, and I ain't nobody. I ain't nothing. I ain't got a right for nothing. But they got up there, had nine specials. <laughs> nine specials. But it was, they were really special. Here's how special they were. Now, if you ever notice, we don't have canned music at this church. Now, listen, if you want to do that, that's up to you. But I, God has not given me permission to do it. But they'd get up there and they'd have in the back, you know, putting their cassette in, all right? And they'd start it and they'd say, no, that's the wrong song. <laughs> well, where is it at? Well, that's on the other side, I think. The second song on the second side. And you sit there five minutes waiting for the... How many have been in them services? That's the, that, I mean, the Holy Spirit's so in that. By the time that's all done, you just well lock the doors and go to the house. You're going to sing, get up here and get with it, amen. Get lined up, get on stage, you get with it. Get, you know, I'm, some of you are saying, yeah, and when you preach, Reggie, you get with it. And... <laughs> Anyway, I'm not very patient. Then it said, not a brawler. Boy, I hate that. <laughs> I used to love to wrestle. I never was no good hitting nobody, but I liked to wrestle. I took wrestling in college. Boy, I mean, I like to wrestle. Can't now. That means more than just wrestling. It means quarreling with people and fussing with people and arguing with people. Then not covetousness. Driving up and you see that new truck they got and you're going, boy, I don't know why they, because, you know, preachers, a lot of, by the way, let me tell you something. If, if you want money, don't, don't, don't start preaching unless you're going to be a filthy lucre preacher. 
because you ain't going to get rich preaching. Not covetous. And be happy with what you got. Verse number four, one that ruleth well his own household, having his children subjection with all gravity. I may have went a little bored on that. I don't know, but I'll be honest with you. I thank God for Karen. I'm up here preaching. When the kids were little, Karen did an amazing job about keeping the kids quiet and making them sit and so forth. And, you know, so it didn't disturb the service. And I want to say something to this church today. I want you to listen right now. We don't have children's church downstairs somewhere. They're all up here. You can hear what's going on here. I want to commend the parents of this church for training your children in such a way that they're able to sit and to listen and not be disturbing. Now, listen, you have a baby. That baby's going to cry. It's going to all kinds of things are going to happen in church. Puke, everything. (laughs) And I've watched over and over again. Parents just get up, you know, just not make a big scene. They get up, take their baby back wherever need to and, and take care of it there and then come back in service. Neither do we want a nursery where ladies are sitting back there with their babies and having a a jaw session. We don't need that. If you're going to sit back in the nursery, pay attention to the service. Okay? But I'm telling you something. I wouldn't even know how many times, mercy, I got to go. People have told me, Reggie, the thing that got me about that church was all those kids there, and there wasn't a disturbance. And I want to say something. Children's churches on Sunday morning are especially wrong. And I'm going to tell you why. Because the children are not with their mom and dad when the, breeze, when the wind goes through the mulberry trees. They also, most of the time, the children are fed, entertained. And they're given things to pacify them and to make them like it. So when they move into a church service, where's my entertainment? Where's my, where's my Kool-Aid and cookies? Well, I'm not interested anymore. If the fun and games is over. And that's, you know, and I'm not saying they're all like that. And by the way, churches that have bus ministries where they bring in a lot of kids without parents, I admire them, but that is a special, it's not me, but I do admire those churches that can do that, all right? It's, it's, it's a pretty tough thing. Well, let's go very quickly here. Uh, verse number five says that if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? So God says your home is a basis of authority for taking care of the house of God. And if you don't take care of that, then you're not going to have the ability to take care of the house of God, all right? Verse number six, not a novice. That means somebody who just got saved and who just got called to preach. And I've seen this happen. Some boy gets saved, 16 years old. He gets saved. God's called me to preach. And they let him come up and preach. And, and maybe somebody says to him, oh, that was the best message I've heard in six years. And he gets puffed up. And next thing you know, he ain't worth a dime. You've ruined him. And God says, you don't put a novice into to, to a pulpit he doesn't know what he's doing yet. Okay? And Bible literally says, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. The devil will get him. That's, uh, some of you know, I, I, I should go back more than I do. I think I will today, but go back and people say, oh, that's a great message, a great message. If you're not careful, it can get to your head. I don't care how spiritual you're there, but I have to constantly remind myself, Reggie, you're nothing, you're nothing, you're nothing. And, you know, the cutting good it was from the Lord. Verse number seven, moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without, lest he fall in the reproach and the snare of the devil 
And uh, that's very serious because, you know, if, 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 uh, if you're just known as a cheat and a liar and a crook and all that stuff, why well, it's not going to help no church nowhere. Again, if it's, if it's an accusation, and I've had a lot of accusations, some things maybe might have been, but a lot of things I've, specifically a lot of things I've been accused of wasn't, wasn't true at all. And, uh, but anyway, um, it's 12 o'clock and I'm about halfway through, so I think we'll pick this up next Sunday. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. I was just waiting on it. I'm not sure that I'll finish it, but I'm, I'm on page four of page nine. So that gives you any idea. We have a wedding at three o'clock here. I don't want to be respectful to that and the po- folks that are participating in that. And uh, I want to say this, though, in case the Lord comes or I die before next Sunday. In case, and this is what I was going to finish with. When it says the husband of one wife and you're thinking about being a preacher, God's called you to preach. You better pray and beg God for the right wife. Amen. Truth is, truth is, she'll either make you or break you. And I'm going to say something. and <laughs> My wife will probably give me a look because <laughs> she does not like to be talked about from the pulpit. I want to tell you one of the greatest strengths of my wife. She's never felt personally or acted in any manner like she was the queen bee around here because she's the preacher's wife. She just serves, stays steady. And honey, I want to tell you, I appreciate it. With all my heart, God couldn't give, give me a better wife. I don't know how she's took it. I don't know how she stayed. But I'm going to give honor where honor's due. Amen. And this church, I'm going to be honest with you, you owe a great debt, uh, debt of gratitude to that woman sitting over there because she could have blown this church out of the water if she hadn't had the right kind of spirit and walked with God Almighty. Amen. And many a man's wife has done it. I've talked to them. I've dealt with it. And I just want to say, Karen, thank you Amen. for being all and more than I could have ever asked in a pastor's wife. And I would say that you boys, that's probably one of the biggest things about enters the ministry is you better be sure you got a woman that's ready for a rough, rough ride who's rooted and grounded in the faith and not easily moved or shook. And who doesn't want to use being a pastor's wife as being, think she's somebody special. Let's stand together.